my name is Coco Madari, and this is the Do Epic Shit Podcast, where I'm going to teach you how to combine your art, your activism, and your money making into one big, powerful, profitable business and life. Listen on to find out more. Okay, hello everyone. Today I have one of my big banger clients, <laughs> Bridget Mitchell. And um, yeah, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi everyone. So I am a coach for craftspeople and conservators, people who restore and conserve objects. And I also have a product that I've developed, invented, got manufactured, and I'm selling that is also to do with the display, the conservation display, preservation of historic objects. And I am also, I've spent the last 30 years working as a book conservator repairing books and manuscripts for firstly museums and libraries in London and then self-employed as a sole trader. And now I specialize, I don't do conservation anymore. I specialize in making boxes or books, manuscripts, manuscript objects, anything that needs a specialized container. But I see, I've just started to see the thread that runs through all of these things, really. What is it? It's safety. Mm. Tell me more. So helping make it safe for people to run the business they want to run in conservation. Helping objects stay safe over centuries. Helping objects stay safe on display so that people have access to them, but that the object is safe. And actually I have, the work I've been doing for myself over the last six months has definitely centered on creating safety for myself. Yeah. So good. So um, I brought Bridget here um, for a reason because she just created something pretty fucking extraordinary in her business. And I would just love for you to tell everyone what result you created. Well, May, yeah, May was a pretty spectacular month. So I created... 20, I got the figure, 29,535 pounds. Oh my God. Yeah, which equates to something like $37,000, I think. 37,000 US dollars. Yeah. 37,000 US dollars and like 40 something, 42, maybe 43 Canadian dollars. Yeah, and along with that, I've also managed to get suppliers, major suppliers interested in stocking my product. So that's been another 
big one. It's so. like, yeah, it's literally like, a, like your business is experiencing the big bang right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Literally. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, $37,000 in May. That is fucking just like mind blowing. I would love for you to just like share because uh, share just like your, um, the timeline of your business and kind of like how you got to this point, because like that number is just fucking phenomenal and crazy. And yeah, that number in a month is the biggest number I've ever created in a month before. I've had a couple of 16,000 pound months and, but I have a target goal every month of creating uh, a minimum of 5,000 pounds. Yeah. And so like the 29,000 is exponentially larger than what I've created before. Yeah. Cause like even before this month you, and I think this is kind of like, and you tell me like a, a tr attribution to your success in May is that you already considered yourself to be successful in your craft. Yes. Yeah. And just leaning into that. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing my craft for 30 years, but I don't think I ever allowed myself to truly believe I knew what I was doing, that I was really good at it. And so one of the things that working with you has done for me is that constant leaning into myself. Mm. constantly leaning into I know what I'm doing I've got this even if I don't know the answers I will bring them yeah oh. so and that that and actually the your podcast this week about the love triad mm -hmm. like that's been a thread all through the work I've done with you so that kind of came as no surprise and it is that Wow. Loving myself, loving what I do, loving what I produce, loving the people I do it for. Mm -hmm. And all the time leaning into that. Yes. I yes. think that's what really allowed me to create those contracts coming through. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. So, so would you consider your business to be a conservation business or a art business? Or like, what do you, what do you call it really? Well, yeah, like, like it was definitely a conservation business, but now I see it much more, actually, it's a craft, practical craft-based business with, uh, with the conservation training. It's, I really lean into the physical doing of the work. That's the bit I love yeah. in that respect. I'm not, uh, I'm not, centered on the science of it and not centered on the theory of it it's the practical physical work that is the bit I really love and then I love my product because uh, one of the things we talk about is that really everything is coaching and you can coach with everything and I really see uh, encounters with historic objects as expanding, as 
life-changing as growing. And so helping more of those encounters to happen, it's like all part of the same thing. Yeah. So I would love to hear just like your story with your craft business and like how you got to this place. Cause I'm sure there's so many people, so many crafts people listening to this right now and at all different sorts of stages in their business. And you don't often hear a crafts person talk about their business and talk about their success and, you know, the money that they're making and yeah. all that stuff. So I think I would love to hear. Well, yeah. A brief whiz through my career is that I did an art history degree and you come out of an art history degree with lots of knowledge but no I felt no ability to actually do anything and so um, I work, did some work in conjunction with a conservation course at our university and decided that that was where I was going to put my efforts so it and it was a toss-up between book conservation and taxidermy. And um, I chose the book conservation and, um, and love it because mending books is like engineering. They're like little physical machines and all the bits need to work together for them to work properly. So then I went and trained as a bookbinder and a fine binder. So I did fine bindings and my first job was in the Bodleian Library in Oxford, and I was the first woman full-time in their bindery, where we did like runs and runs of binding journals for the library. And I love, I love your story so much. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, uh, that was really interesting. So I was straight into a totally male kind of closed shop, they didn't speak to me for the first six months. Wow. But gradually I kind of won them over. We left on when I left the job, we left on very good terms. It was yeah, it was a really kind of old-fashioned environment. So mm -hmm. then after that, I actually got a scholarship to go and do further conservation training. And I trained at a conservation college down on the south coast of England, which has quite a, a, a great reputation, worldwide reputation called Westine for crafts, heritage crafts, arts, all kinds of things. And then I went back to the Bodleian and then eventually got a job at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, where I was for nearly 10 years, mm -hmm. became one of their senior conservators. And then... And when did when your kids come in? Well, then when I started having children, yeah. I was commuting into London every day and um, and that just seemed unfeasible with small children. And so at that point, I decided to leave the V&A and set up on my own. And that, that was kind of quite a having children and setting up a business at the same time. I found looking back on it, I think I actually found it traumatizing, like oh, yeah. having, having to produce an income with a six month old baby. That, yeah, and it totally plunged me into scarcity and fear 
naturally. Um, yeah. And I pretty much stayed in that state for the next kind of 10, 12 years. I had two more children. I always managed to make the money. Always managed to make the money. The, ne the money never stopped coming in, but it never came in in the quantities that I wanted it to. And mm -hmm. that was all down to my, my fear and my reluctance to really believe that I knew what I was doing. I mm -hmm. thought I was a craftsperson. I trained in my business, in my, I trained in my craft. You don't get any business training. I just assumed I had no idea how to run a business. And I, I want to like touch on that a minute because you mentioned like not being willing or even knowing it was available to you to believe that you knew what you're doing. And I feel like there's so many of us who have that reluctance to believe that we know what we're doing because it's almost like, oh, if I believe what I'm doing, then I'll really fuck up or like totally. me not believing what I'm doing is like helping me somehow. But it's so amazing to hear you say, like, I know that's actually what held me back from yeah. making the money that I wanted to make. Yeah, and part of the thing with learning to be a conservator is that you learn all the techniques from outside of yourself, like you actually learn how to do the processes so as not to damage the objects. You actively seek all the information from outside of yourself. It like never occurred to me that I could go inside for what mm. I need. Mm -hmm. It was just... I'd always got everything I needed from outside of me. Running a business, well, that's certainly something that other people know about that I don't. And I have to learn how to do that from them. But it was the most soul-destroying, dissatisfying mm. experience. Yeah. And you survived through all of it with children. <laughs> I did, and looking back on it, actually, it was, it's quite amazing. Three kids always produced the income we needed, supported a family of five, housed us, clothed us, you know. We were fine, but it was a white-knuckle ride all the way, and I spent the entire time just terrified. So, so within that time frame, how much do you think you were making per month on average? Oh, I literally minuscule amounts. Like, I don't think I made more than 20,000 pounds in a year. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I got up to 23, 24, but yeah. literally no more than that. Yeah. And wow. then it was, as I started, to, as my children started to grow up and there comes a point when you kind of start to be able to emerge from like the day-to-day -day aspects of childcare. And there comes a point where I've just thought, I can't go on like this. This, you know, this either has to change or I have to get a job, but I live in the middle of the countryside and getting a job really wasn't much of an option. Plus also the, um the field that I work in the pay is not fantastic so things weren't going to improve particularly if I got a job and it's at that point I just decided that I have to 
make the business work for me. Yeah. So, so what changed? Uh, what changed? Just uh, well, it, what what changed is like nothing changed year after year. Nothing changed. I reached a kind of income ceiling. And I just couldn't get past it. I didn't know how to get past it. I did do various other trainings, but it was all, uh, you do this, do this, do this. It was all action line stuff. And whilst it sounded very good in principle, when it came to doing it, I just still couldn't make myself do it. I didn't have the, I didn't have the safety net that made it feel okay to, to do these things, I still felt pretty right. incapable. And yet, you know, I, I'm a perfect so how did you, capable. How did you break that cycle and pattern of the like, everything's the same, don't have the resources, time and money to be able to like change things? How did you like turn things around? I think it, it's, it's the decision like this can't go on anymore mm. this has got to change and then it was taking the leap and it was the stepping off the cliff it was investing for me it was investing in a different kind of knowledge mm. which was coaching yeah what pulled you to coaching what made you make that decision oh god it just felt so Oh, it just felt right. It felt like, oh, I don't know how to describe it, like warm and mm. safe and inspiring. And all my encounters left me feeling better. Whereas my encounters with other kinds of um, like uh, trainings or mentoring just left me feeling kind of incapable, inadequate. Wow, amazing. So you, what was that like, like your first experience of investing in coaching? How did it feel? Um, I felt quite a kind of sea to begin with, but what, what I really enjoyed was that there was no judgment. And I had an awful lot of judgment about myself. And so to be in a situation where I could, I could have, I might have not done anything for a month and there was no judgment about that from anybody else mm -hmm. meant that I was able to think, well, maybe it's okay that I haven't made any progress this month, you know, Yes, such like a revolutionary thought. Totally, yes. Yes. Yeah, totally. Imagine standing still and that being totally fine. Yeah, and even like optimal. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like that idea, because we're so taught that it's growth, it's more, it's harder, faster, yeah, staying on the hamster wheel. Yeah, yeah, totally. You get off and you're in trouble. Exactly, exactly. And that was so kind of revolutionary for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So when you started investing in coaching, how did that impact um, your business and your income that like ended up bringing you to this kind of like crescendo of last month? <laughs> um, so I, it's, I suppose I've been doing it now for about two, two and a half years might be three um and i would say obviously to begin with i thought it was all about the money like making the money yeah and then it became very clear to me that the money was just a tiny part of it and actually it was all about feeling good about myself feeling good about what I do knowing that what I have to contribute on this earth is worthwhile and some people want it and like really leaning into that so that what I do create is like grows develops and actually in the last kind of six months I have almost sort of well, not let go of the money, but it's not my headline, like it's not my headline goal. Mm -hmm. My headline goals are much more like process-based, like learning to say what I think, learning to fail and that be an incredible experience rather than utterly terrifying. Because I don't think I'd done anything before that I thought I might fail at. I played it very safe. Ah. And so. Yeah, and it's actually interesting, like, when, when, like, at least when I'm in that space of, like, wanting to play it safe, it's, like, coming from this, like, money scarcity versus when you are, like, actually, like, allowing there to be multiple just like things that you can be working on it's coming from like more of a place of abundance and it's just so interesting how that yeah. just like crunches you down and like makes you even more perfectionistic more like oh I have to make the right decisions I can't take the wrong step and like it just yeah. suffocates you yeah totally and I've in the last six months I've done lots of things that I've never done before and that I'd never mm. think I could have done before and and it hasn't really been about the money. It's been about the, my capability and not just my capability, but my ability to look after myself in whatever happens in what I do. Wow. That's, that's the biggest thing I think is no matter what I do, can I look after myself through it? Yeah. And I think what's coming to my mind is like developing yourself as a CEO, like developing the, the skills to be able to create a business that is sustaining and can be like built over long periods of time versus like chasing, um, chasing chasing like the next money goal kind of thing yes yeah, yeah. i mean 
in my profession, we deal in time in terms of long time scales. I mean, the objects we're working with might be millennia old. Mm-hmm. Often the projects we're doing go on for years. So time scales, oh, it's interesting because time, time has been one of those real scarcity things along with money. And yet, um, I, you know, I think about things in terms of really long time scales. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. I think it's just taking taking steps to create a business that holds you. I love that. I'm I'm really fascinated fascinated with like the um the the difference between kind of where you were at in that ten what was it ten to twelve years where you were on the hamster wheel versus when you found coaching and like two, three years later, you're having like 16K months, 29K like pound month. And it's just two years versus 12 years of like. Well, actually, I think it was probably 15 years of kind of awfulness. And then the contrast between how I feel about my business now and how I felt about my business during those years is is kind of chalk and cheese so now I love my business I feel like it takes care of me I feel like it's supporting me to contribute what I want to contribute I feel like I am helping my clients have what they want. I feel that I'm making opportunities for clients that they perhaps didn't conceive before. Whereas in the previous 15 years, it was just about delivering delivering a piece of work mm. and that being, yeah. and and then payment. It was a much more kind of wizened experience. Yeah. I remember um, in our one-on-one coaching, we spent a lot of time just um, like, just letting you go off and talk about (laughs) your, your passion for what you do, your passion for helping conservators like or craftspeople make make money and how important that is and like to support their families and their dreams and their passions and also just like your love for the craft yes yeah and I love having I love thinking about it and I think previously I never allowed that thinking to go off in all kinds of directions I I would have considered that like a waste of energy like everything's supposed to be directed towards getting the work done and um, doing it in the time scale required I don't I didn't allow myself to have that almost kind of spiritual element and I think that's one of the reasons why I um why I decided I needed to change things because 
I, it did feel pretty one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Like you do the work, you get paid for it. You do the work, you get paid for it. Whereas now I really indulge in communicating with the objects. Mm-hmm. I really, uh, I have amazing downloads from the spirit of my business. I think about my clients much more than I ever did before and what might be possible for them or what I can create that might be possible, you know, that might make something new possible for them. And I allow, well, not only do I allow it, but I actively create space to do that. And I think that's the biggest change is that before I felt like my time was really packed with doing the work. And I still felt really behind all the time. Now I feel really spacious. I work a lot less in my business. Like- Remember when you thought that there's no way that you can work less? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, so in my boxing business, I. I do about between 15 and 20 hours a week and get paid way more than I ever did before. Yeah. Yeah. So, because I remember when we were looking at what thoughts actually make you money. And this is something that I do with all my clients is like find out which thoughts for them are the ones that create money. Because we have this idea that like, we create money by like taking all these actions and doing the work and we have to, you know, thinking about yeah. it in a very like linear, um, logical way. But I think one of the, uh, the main thoughts that you were having that were creating money for you were, was this connection to the object because you are creating um, boxes to fit the object and you need to communicate with it in order to know what it needs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's so fucking cool. Yeah, and that's the bit that I really, that's one of the bits that I really love about it. Like, that relationship with the object, it is like a sort of little, while you're working on it, it's like a little kind of mini love affair that in which you give whatever you have to give in order to support the object. And allowing myself to think about it like that creates a completely different experience of my business than I've got to do the work, I've got to do it by this date, which was what what I was really in. Mm -hmm. Doing the work, meeting the deadlines, getting it done. Now, my thoughts are about what I can give, what I can create. And as I said, the, the difference in the experience of my business is amazing. So I feel safe in my business. I feel held by my business. I feel developed and expanded by my business rather than feeling worn out, worn down, diminished, scared, 
I think that's the difference, like that experience. Mm. So good. It is. I love it now. I, I love know. it. And, and I, it didn't take long at all. Like, no. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. And, and I think, I think like just your words and your wisdom, like is just going to help so many people, especially like people who, you know, have um, like, like crafts and art and, you know, music that is a bit, that is different, you know, and have paths that are different. Like, yeah, because who would thought you could make lots of money mm -hmm. making boxes? Yeah. One-off boxes. I mean, um, I might be able to conceive it if you make thousands of boxes for something, but I make one box at a time for one object at a time. Yeah. And even within our craft uh, conservation, it, I'm kind of, you know, conservation is quite niche and not a huge industry, but like my little corner of it is like, niche of niche of niche what is your favorite object that you ever created a box for or you've ever worked with oh what's my favorite object i think well i love comp making complex boxes so um i think i really enjoyed making something for a birch bark manuscript or oh, the date of that escapes me. I think it may have been eighth century piece. It was 500 leaves of birch bark manuscript on both sides. Those leaves have all fused into like a sort of what looks like a big block of wood and it's incredibly delicate and incredibly fragile wow. and that I really enjoyed the process of solving this work has helped me amazingly with actually creating solutions for my object just deciding you know when a client approaches me about a job the first thing I do is decide if I want the work or not if I don't that want the work, the that is the key. That if I want the work, I, if I don't want the work, I pass it on to someone else. If I do want the work, it doesn't matter what the problem is that they've come with. I say, yes, I can do that. And I know that the solution will come to me as I start the work. Yeah, I actually want to touch on that because that is like everything right there. <laughs> like, because there's so many of us, um, you know, we're, we're all, um, uh, I think all of us have the tendency to, like, if we get a job, you're like, oh yeah, let's take it. Like even uh, me as a performer, yeah, it's like, you know, getting a gig, it feels so, it feels so good but checking in with yourself being like, wait, do I actually want to do this? Because there's well, so many times when like, I've said yes to things that I didn't actually really want to do. And it totally like, take, yeah. 
that was my first 15 years. I thought I was lucky if I got work. Of course I had to do it because I needed the money. And there's also like the scarcity of like, there's not that many jobs out there. And there's not that much work. People don't want to pay lots of money for this work. So of course you've got to take the work when it comes along. And having the, that's one of the things that coaching really helped me with was having the nerve to say, actually, I don't want to do that. Not leaving the money on the table. Leaving the money on the table is just the best money-making tactic. (laughs) Totally. And and like it could be that you are a performance artist or a workshop or whatever and then you are already quite niche and then you get a job and you know you don't want to do it but then you don't know of what else is out there you don't even know that like um the 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 kind of jobs that you want are even available Oh, totally. See the right? and being able to have the nerve to say no, even when you don't even know what else is out there. Yeah, totally. The clients I have now are amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I love my clients. They, some of them, they don't even want quotes. They just trust me to do whatever I want to do. Whereas previously, I would never have had the nerve to say no to a job because I'm so niche. And um, and even when I do, you know, it, lots of my clients do still want quotes. And I'm able to quote for the job I want to do, not the job that I feel I have to do because maybe I'm thinking, oh, they haven't got much money, which was a thought I sp- spent so much time in in those 15 years or... They're a museum, they don't have much money, or they don't want to spend lots of money on this. It's only a book. People don't want, that's a classic one in our uh, field. People don't want to spend much money on that. It's only a book. It's only a piece of metalwork. It's only a piece of fabric. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And having the nerve. Yeah, your words are just like so extremely valuable. And I it's just it's just blowing my mind right now. What one thing I want to ask you is in for you, how do you know when you want the work versus when you are um like saying yes from like scarcity or from whatever? Yeah. Well, I have a policy now of never saying yes immediately. So that I can check in with myself about whether I want the work. So, and if I don't, my body feels heavy. Mm -hmm. If I do love the idea of the work, I can feel a sense of excitement. Because that work, the work, I want to do is the work that grows me, that expands me, that gives me experience I haven't had before. Or or maybe it is, you know, something I've done hundreds of times before, but it's uh, but it's just really in my kind of zone. It feels light and exciting. Mm. The work I don't want to do feels heavy and yes. even the thought of it is like 
tiring. Mm. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is <laughs> Before so I've even lovely. started, I'm exhausted. Yes, totally. That's something that I found was in the beginning um, uh, as a DJ, like the, the, the script that I knew as a DJ is like, when you are a new DJ, you perform for free at like parties and raves. And they're mostly like, mostly white people, white cis straight people. And, you know, you like, whatever. And I would like get, you know, offered to play at places, but it just like never really felt right. And I just didn't know what else was out there. I'm like, oh, I'm like, there's something wrong with me because I'm not interested in playing these gigs. But then an offer or, and I would say yes. And then I would back out and I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so flaky. Well, I would do them, but yeah, ages over them and really drag my heels and my time scales would elongate and then I'd just feel loads of shame about not putting in a good not not necessarily that the work wasn't good because that's the one thing is that I think with craftspeople you always put a good performance in in your work but you pay the price in terms of how long it takes you and the money you accept for it you don't let the standard of your work drop you let everything else fall away so you spend hours doing extra hours doing stuff that you don't want to do because you're kind of tired and a bit resentful about it it just takes so much longer but what ended up coming along with with the DJing is that like um I find I got an offer to DJ at um, the Trans Haven, which is uh, like a trans inclusive space and events thing and the art, whatever. And when I got offered that job, I just felt so energized and so excited to do it. And like that's that's the difference, isn't the it? Difference. Like you're yeah. energized to do the work rather than. You're like pulled to do the work. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't even really believe that there were clients like the kind of clients I have now out there. I just really didn't believe they existed. Um, And whenever they bring me work, it's more energizing, it's more expanding. And you come to learn that difference quite quickly, don't you, like it's, it's a, a visceral feeling like yeah one thing that I notice is that um it's a difference between like making decisions with your mind versus making decisions with your body yeah and you know, that's your mind what... all these reasons why you should do it why you shouldn't do the thing that you want to do why you should do the thing that you don't want to do but at the yeah. end of the day you know how it feels that's the thing that I think like the thing that coaching is really never even occurred to me to ask my body whether well anything like you just force your body through whatever your mind (laughs) tells you you've got to do don't you it never occurred to me to actually ask my body whether it was on board with this work and Mm -hmm. listening to the wisdom of your body is is a game changer such a game changer Yeah, yeah love it so much is there anything else that you want to share before oh 
Oh God. I've already like spilled out just like so (laughs) much value. It's insane. Like I just want to share that like it is possible to do the work you really want to do and make the money that you want to make. Yeah. I don't think I ever thought that was possible. Mm-hmm. And work with people who you love. Yeah, totally. But it is possible. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like some massive kind of change to create that. It's small, incremental little switches, isn't it? 100%. 100%. Just little reframes mm-hmm. and keeping going and being willing to reframe all the time. You don't have to do some massive, great big thing, although you feel much more able to do massive, great big things. But the thing that actually makes the difference is just the yeah changing the thoughts one by one changing how you see things bit by bit yeah yeah challenging just the ideas that we have around you know time and money and you know what what your business should be what it shouldn't be because at the end of the day you're creating a business that's never been done before yeah that's I think there was I think I thought there was like a generic business model that you chose yeah. and you fitted into it. Yeah. Because that's what you're kind of told, isn't it? I mean, that's like. And if you, you don't write, fit in that, then there's. Yeah, you write your business plan, you do this kind of marketing, you do, oh God, all that mm-hmm. garbage that you're told that you do. And in fact, the greatest joy is in doing what you want to do the way you want to do it. I just really never occurred to me that I could have a business like that. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Thank you. On your incredible business and life and relationship to yourself. Oh, that's the big game changer the big game changer is like liking myself more than liking myself yeah Yeah. so so how do people find you they want to work with you coach with you how do I find you coaching you can just dm me on instagram i'm bridget.mitchell underscore on instagram dm me uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. The the box making and my product, they're on my website at archipreservation.co.uk and on Instagram. Perfect. So yeah. I'm all over the place. I'll link all of that in the show notes. Um, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. I would never have believed that, you know a few years doing thinking about things differently would have such a radical impact 
on my ability to create what I wanted to create. Like I just didn't think that was available to me. This is just the beginning, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it is as well. Like yes. that's what's amazing. I think, yeah, this is just the beginning. I've still got another God knows how many years. Like <laughs> hell yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna talk to you this week. So yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So if you want to find out more about working with me, go to the link in my bio. I am available as a coach for either group or one-on-one. I'm available as an artist, a singer, a musician. Um, It is all in the link in my bio. So go check it out and I'll talk to you later.